Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church. Thank you so much for being here. Will you stand with me as we read through God's Word? If you'd like to follow along with a reading and need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one with you. Or if you know someone that needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your hand throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, and can be found on that Bible on page 998. Follow along with me as I read. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus. Um, Because of Jesus, uh, the finance update makes sense. It, It makes it worth it. Um, so thankful for this church, uh, so thankful for the volunteers that we have at this church. Uh, I just pray that you would be with Tyler this morning as he brings this message in Titus. Um, just pray that you would be with us as we go throughout our weeks. Pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. So if you are new around here or you haven't been here um, very long, one of the things we love to do every single week is we preach um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through different books of the Bible. And so the last 10 weeks, we just finished up last week in Philippians, and now we're jumping into Titus. It's our first sermon in Titus. We're super excited. I'm super excited about it. Um, It's going to be really good. But um, in Titus, it is a book in the Bible that is written specifically from Paul to Titus personally. And we see Paul do this a few times in the Bible where he writes letters to, to people. He writes them personally. And so he's written letters to Timothy, as we see in First and Second Timothy. And he's also written letters to Philemon and now to Titus. And so Paul writes these personal letters, but these personal letters are meant to be read and taught in the church. And so that's why they're in the Bible. That's why they're God's word. And that's what we are going to be studying is Titus. And what Paul is telling Titus, what he's writing to Titus is giving him instructions on what he needs to do with this place he's at, this, this island called Crete. Um, and so we'll jump down and, and talk, to, uh, talk about it in verse five here in a second. But Titus was close to Paul like he was Timothy. See, Timothy, he ends up saying that Timothy is a, a son of his in Christ. And he ends up saying similar to the same exact thing later in verse four, which we'll read later on today. But he was a partner and a coworker to Paul in ministry doing God's work. And Titus has gone to the church of Corinth with Paul. He helped there, teaching alongside of him, growing a deep relationship with the Christians there and also with Paul. And it's indicated that in scripture, Paul was actually the one that um, baptized Titus, or baptized Titus, that um, witnessed to Titus. And so we will see that here in a little bit, but he was traveling with Paul to places around uh, the Middle East, like the Mediterranean Sea, that area. And they get to this spot, And Paul's like, hey, this isn't good. You've got to stay back here. And we're going to break into that now. So usually I don't jump this far ahead, but I'm going to jump to verse five, which is actually part of next week's sermon. But just to give you context and and the idea of what's going on here. So verse five says this, says, this is why I left you in Crete, 
Paul writing to Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. See, Titus's job was to instruct believers. It was to raise up and find elders and leaders for the church in Crete. And while Paul moved on um, to these other gospel ministries, Titus was to stay back. So we did. And as we go through the next 10 weeks, there's going to be a couple different topics that we talk about. There's actually going to be three kind of big categories. Um, and what they are is the first one is leadership. We're going to look at church leadership, what leadership should look like as a Christian. And then the second one is going to be, we're going to be talking and diving into to truths of the Bible. It's got good the, theology in Titus. And so we're going to learn about those and learn about how there's false teachers in the Crete area, in the Cretan church. So there's a lot of false teachers there and how they need to stop, knock it off and start preaching the truth. And so the third thing is going to be encouraging other believers to do good works. Now, if you're a Christian, you know that it, it, it's not good works that gets us to, to heaven, right? It's believing and trusting in God. But from that, it should change us from the inside out. Our hearts, our desires, our motivations should change to be more Christ-like, which should be from good works. So the third thing is encouraging believers to do good works. And at the island of Crete, it was known in the ancient time as this island of very, very bad um, immoral people. Like there was a lot of immorality there. And it's similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you guys remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, God just wiped them out. He was like, look, you guys are sinful. I'm taking out the whole city type of deal. But the Cretans, they struggled with sexual sins. They struggled with scamming people, with cheating people. They were habitual liars. It was like a habit for them to go into their daily lives lying to people. That's just what they did. They were self-indulgent in the things that they did and their activities. They were lazy and they were gluttons. Much like our culture is today. If you think about all those categories, you're like, that's kind of how it is today in America. They changed what they believe and what the, the things that they did based on their culture. So they would pick things like, oh, well, we think that this, this fits right in. Let's do this. Or they would look at other gods. So they believed in Greek mythology. And so they would kind of lay Zeus over Jesus and say, oh yeah, like Jesus kind of did those things and they would get it mixed up. They would have these false teachings and they would get confused. And so Titus is left there to help them knock these ways off, to look at the one true God, not these other gods as well. The Cretans had adopted this way of life though. And uh, I think one of the things that is amazing is that our gospel, our God doesn't change. I found so much like hope in that, that I don't have to, I don't have to guess at what God's expectation is of me, how to glorify him, how to love him well. Our God doesn't change. Our world changes so constantly. So like just yesterday, it seemed like it was okay for us to drive a truck, right? And then nowadays it's like, oh, it's gotta be a hybrid truck or an electric truck. But I mean, I don't care what kind of truck. I just want a truck. That's why I'm talking about trucks. But I did get a truck this summer, so I'm super pumped for it. But uh, anyways, uh, the, the thing is, is we know how to love God well and glorify him because his love doesn't change. His word doesn't change. And we have it right here at our fingertips. And I think that itself is a huge blessing. So the question comes is, do we care more of God's approval or do we care more of our friend's approval, of the people in this world's approval? And I fear that we will lean towards caring more about what other people think than we will about what God thinks when we do things, when we say things. 
And I know for me that if I'm not careful, if I'm not super intentional, that I will start following down the wrong path. I will start slipping in to sin again. I'll start slipping in to the way I talk to friends and trying to fit in or be cool or whatever. I will try to start changing. So that's why we have to be in the word consistently reminding ourselves what Jesus did for us, reminding us what his word says. And as we work through this book, we're going to answer some of these questions because we live in this world that's full of dishonesty. This world is extremely harsh in some of the things we see or we hear people say. And we live in this culture that is so selfish. And we're going to look at how we should live as Christians. We should, we're going to look at how leaders should be as Christians as well. We're going to look at uh, elders in particular. So specifically talking to the elders that Titus is trying to help raise up for these churches in Crete. And I want you guys to focus in on the next few weeks as we go in to these elder qualifications, because these are qualifications of, hey, if you're going to be in a leader in the church, you need to have these qualities already. But these qualities are also like when you do these qualities, when you become more like Christ, that's what it is. It's sanctifying us to him. So it's everything that every single Christian should be shooting for. This isn't what we're going to go over is not just for the leaders. This is what the leaders should already have. They should already be these things. But this is what every Christian should be aiming at. Think about the different stages of maturity in our life, right? We've got infancy where you've got kids who can't really take care of themselves. They're babies um, without mom and dad. Like there's no way for them to survive. And then as they grow up, they mature a little bit. They become these toddlers and they like to go into the pantry and pick out their own food and eat all the food. At least that's what mine did. So I had to put a lock on the door. But, um, th- but they become more mature in the fact that you don't have to feed them anymore. You can give them food and they can start to feed themselves. They can start eating on their own. And then a few years later, they turn five or six and they can start doing real chores. Like I remember when I turned five or six, I told my mom, I said, hey, um, like, can you show me how to do the dishes? That looks super cool. I want to help. And then I said, hey, can you show me how to do the laundry? And what I learned really quick is that was like the biggest mistake I can make at that age. I mean, my brothers and sisters, they waited a few more years and I was doing all the chores along with my mom. And, you know, we were just, you know, partnering together and doing that. But my brother and sister, they waited a while. They said, that's not fun. Not me. But as we mature, we can do more things. We become teenagers. We can work heavy equipment or equipment, I guess, mowing the lawn. Maybe not here in Arizona, but maybe the the leaf blower you know, blowing off the dust of the artificial turf or something. But anyways, like we can do these things. You have strength enough now to pick up the trash and go take it to the backyard because you are more mature in this life as you grow. And it's the same thing in our faith. Let's look at it in faith. So in first Peter, he says this, like newborn infants, we long for spiritual milk, a desire to know God more. As we become Christians, a new Christian, we should want to know more about the Bible. We should always want that. And that is the beginning of maturity. I ended up having um, a little bit ago, I had this, this lady come up to me and she said, you know what I used to pray? And I was like, what? She said, I prayed for a desire to read my Bible. And it hit me. I, like, I was like, I never heard that before. You prayed for a desire to read your Bible. So I started praying the exact same thing for a bigger desire. And that's what I wanna urge you guys today is pray for that desire to read your Bible. Even if you're in it every day, we cannot pray and read our Bible enough. Like we can always be in it more. So I want to encourage you to pray that prayer, especially if you struggle to get in your Bible, pray for a desire to be in the word, to know God deeper. And as we grow and we mature in our faith, we're to start doing a few things. We're uh, to start sharing our faith. 
getting outside of our comfort zone, telling someone about Jesus, how we got saved. We're, we're to use our gifts that God's given us in ways to serve him and serve the church. We're to invest our lives more and more into God's desires and less and less into our own fleshly desires. Instead of doing what we want to do, we need to lower our fleshly desires and we need to follow and go be more mature Christians as we are pointing each other to Christ. And like Paul says in verse one, he says, I am a servant or a slave to God. He's giving up his own desires and that's what he's working towards, that spiritual maturity. So we see as Paul starts this letter, he talks about the responsibility that God has given to him which was to proclaim the gospel, was to proclaim the truths about God. And we find out that as we, uh, we as believers, we've got to do the same thing. The same thing Paul's doing, the same thing Titus is doing. That's what we need to do. We are entrusted, we're going to see that word entrusted to proclaim the gospel later on in the verses. Right now, uh, I don't think I told you at the beginning, but I'm just trying to lay the foundation of Titus. And then we're going to jump into the verses. Usually it's not this much, but there's a lot of foundation with these greetings. Because Paul, usually he's like, hey, my name's Paul and uh, like I'm writing to Timothy or I'm writing to Titus. And it's like, how do you create a sermon out of four verses? That's an intro, but that's what we're doing. So, uh, but this church, they didn't have leadership. They didn't have strong leadership, right? They were, they were not centered on Christ and they needed strong leaders to step up and be on mission so that their church could be more godly. They could have more Christ-like um, characteristics. They could live more for Christ. And so without leaders, we see these situations. I don't know if you guys have ever read a book called Lord of the Flies, but like we were required to read this book as like, I think elementary, which blew my mind because this book, I'll just give you a quick like synopsis of it. But it's these kids or these teenagers that get thrown on an island with no leadership. They have no parents, no adults. And they're like, figure it out. You got to live on your own. I don't even remember how they got there. But what I do remember is it got so brutal that these kids literally started killing each other. Like, it, it's a crazy book. I can't believe they let elementary kids read that, right? But, um, but it, when you don't have leadership, that's what we start to do. It's survival of the fittest. We start trying to, like, beat each other up. And if you think of it like this, it's a little more of a, a nicer way to think about it, is think about sending your kids to school tomorrow. What if all the teachers and the counselors and the people who cook all the food and the principal, what if they just didn't show up? Do you think anything would get done? they probably have to go clean a bunch more spitballs off the wall and like take care of all these kids. And like whenever they came back, it would be hard to wrangle these kids. But think about if they left and they didn't have any good leadership. Things would be chaotic. Without leadership, things can turn to utter chaos very quickly. And so to bring it kind of home to us is we just had um, our lead pastor a couple months. He just went to Oklahoma to go pastor another church, right? Well, what if Rob and I came in one Sunday and we're like, throwing in the towel. We're done. And then on top of that, the staff was like, yeah, we're done. Like, I'm so like, you guys figure it out on your own. It'd be really hard, right? Like you guys would probably wonder if there's going to be church on Sunday or who's preaching. But in this culture, I, I can tell you what would happen. The church would dissolve. It wouldn't be a church anymore. And that is exactly what's happening here at Creep in their church. They don't have any leaders, except it can't dissolve because Church these days, we have vehicles. We can travel to another church. There, you'd move your whole family to a different community on the island to go have church at another church that also didn't have leaders. He had to raise leaders up in all the churches at Crete. So um, this is what's happening here at Crete. And Titus was given the responsibility to stay back and raise up these leaders. And Paul gives him this letter to tell him what else he needs to do. 
And he is very clear in writing this letter that, is, um, that it is expected that the gospel produces godliness, real godliness in their everyday lives, even for the immoral people of Crete. So finally, let's jump into verse one. <laughs> Titus 1.1 says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So the first verse is packed with theology. Usually when, when Paul like writes a book or writes you know, a letter, usually it's like, hey, I'm Paul writing to you. But what he does with Titus is there's a lot of theology he packs into the first verse. I was blown away, especially after doing um, Philippians and going into that, I was like, man, this is a hard first couple verses. Not so much for Titus. But Paul is saying, I am a willing servant. He is dying to his own fleshly desires and his own fleshly wants, and he's going to live solely for what God wants. So he's being a slave to Christ. Another word for that is a bondservant that we see in some of the other translations of the Bible. And what a bondservant is, is if you owed a debt to somebody, you would go work for that person for so many years. I think it was usually like seven years or so. And then after that time, your debt was paid and you had a choice. Like you could continue to work for him because they took care of you. It's not like the slavery that we think of today. Today, the slavery that we had in America, in America 100, 150 years ago was horrible. It's not the same type of slavery. It's one of those things of like, hey, you're a bondservant. I'll take care of you if you take care of me. You work, I'll pay and take care of you. And so these, these guys, these bondservants, they had a choice to stay with that master, to bring their whole family and stay with that master and just work for him for their whole life. And then they can go and do their things when they're done with the, the work outside or whatever they had to do. But that was the idea of what a bond servant is. And I find it super interesting that Paul comes out and he says, hey, I am a servant of Christ before he says, I'm an apostle of Christ. You can see his, his humility in saying that. He's saying, I'm a servant or a slave to Christ before he is an apostle to Christ. And to be a slave to Christ, it's not a bad thing. It is a good thing. In fact, that's where gospel centrality is, is right there at its core. Because Christ purchased us with his blood. We're slaves and Christ purchased us with his blood. So let's jump to the apostle part. He says he's an apostle. So what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? Like a disciple is a saint or a Christian. We learned in Philippians that a saint is a Christian. So a disciple is a Christian. That is who we are. An apostle is a messenger who is sent while a disciple is a learner or a student. And apostles, they were primarily people who lived with Christ. They lived and followed Christ on earth in person. And Paul was kind of one of those exceptions to it. He was the 13th apostle where um, after Jesus died on the cross, he was crucified. Um, Jesus revealed himself to Paul as a resurrected Christ. So Paul didn't follow him while he was alive um, before he was crucified. Disciples are Jesus followers from back then to now all the way to eternity. That is what a Jesus follower or a disciple is. As far as the office of apostle, that, that office is closed. And so if you ever, I'll just pick on Rob for a minute because he's out of town. But uh, if you ever hear Rob come in and he's like, you must call me apostle now, apostle Rob or whatever, then I want to say like, y'all need to run. I'll run with you. Or we need to make that guy repent and kick him out. Like, hey, you can't do this anymore. Same thing, same thing goes for me. I'm not just picking on Rob. Same thing goes for me. The, the whole point of that is the office of apostle is closed. But we learned last month in Philippians that saint is a Christian. So you should totally go mess with Rob next week when he comes here and be like, 
good morning, St. Rob. It'd just be funny. But uh, I mean, that's weird, right? You don't have to do that. But it would throw him off his game, that's for sure. He's probably gonna listen tonight being like, what is he doing? (laughs) All right, so we see Paul introducing himself as an apostle. And then he says this, he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. And he's not saying that the elect would come to know God, but that they would grow in their faith. He's saying that Christians, we need to grow in our faith. See, faith will lead to hope. And hope, what it ends up doing is it ends up sustaining faith. So faith leads to hope and hope sustains faith. And the more we trust Jesus, the more confident our hope will be. And the more confident that our hope is, the easier it'll be to look beyond our circumstances and look and trust Christ and what he has for us. Then it says God's elect. What is God's elect? God's elect is simply put the people he has chosen to be with him in eternity. Christians. See, God's picked out who is going to heaven. He knows already. I don't know if picked that. I mean, yeah, he picked them out, but he knows who is going to be in heaven already. And we don't, but it's our job to go out into this world especially if you have kids, to put all this gospel kindling around your friends' hearts, around your kids' hearts, and hopefully that God one day will light that kindling, the fire in their heart, and they will believe. Because we don't know who God's elect are, but we're commanded to go out and be the hands and feet of Christ out here telling people about Jesus. And Paul's saying that these things, uh, he says, are for his people's sake and their knowledge of the truth which will produce godliness or Christians being sanctified, becoming more Christ-like. So through this book, we see how Paul instructs Titus to be a strong teacher, teaching strong gospel truths to the Cretans. And the Cretans believed these wrong things about God and about Zeus, like we talked about a little bit earlier. They were Greek. They didn't know the real and the whole truth. And it's Titus's job to teach them. And now I'm, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand But think about this. If I asked you to raise your hand, which I'm not, don't do it. But how many of you would say it's your responsibility to share your faith? I imagine if I said that, I saw one hand. (laughs) I imagine if I said that, most of y'all's hands would go up. But now think about those theoretical hands still in the air. What if I said, do you think it's your responsibility to teach the Bible? I think a lot of hands, the theoretical hands will start dropping right? I think that we don't think that we are able and capable enough to teach the Bible. But as Christians, we are responsible to take the truths of the Bible and pass them on to our kids, to our friends, to our family, teaching them. We're teaching them the truths. When I say teach, I don't mean like teach publicly or up here in the pulpit or like, it's not like a formal type of teaching, but we should be able to teach and tell people the gospel. In this verse of Titus, Paul is not emphasizing evangelism, though. He's emphasizing the training of other believers. He's talking about if you are a new believer, we need to be discipled. You need to be discipled and trained. He's telling Titus that he needs to train the believers so that those people can be trained and then train others. We had this thing in the Air Force called train the trainer. It was like a course you had to take once you became a sergeant. It's the same thing. Train the trainer so that the trainer can then train That is what he's talking about. Paul was not content with people just merely coming to faith, coming to know Christ. That wasn't enough. He wanted them to be equipped. He wanted them to be discipled. And so we are to tell people the gospel and make disciples and we are to train them. So some of you may say that I need to be trained. You're in that stage right now. I need to be trained. 
And I wanna say that is great. Come and tell somebody. If you're not in a community group, go talk to the info table after service. Get plugged in, connected to a community group so that you can be discipled and equipped for what God has in store for you as a new believer or even as a veteran believer that wants to know more. Let's jump into verse two. Verse two says this, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. See, when it says in hope of eternal life, it isn't a hope that's like, oh, I hope it's not 105 degrees a day. That's not what it's saying. It's not a hope of saying, man, I hope it's cooler today. It's an eager anticipation for eternal life. That's what the hope is. It's like delayed gratification. Maybe you're saving up for a house or you're saving up for a car to pay cash for or to put a down payment on, right? It's like a delayed gratification. You have to sacrifice some now for the gratification later. I remember a time that me and my wife did this and it was about six and a half years ago, right when my son was born. We jumped into to the Dave Ramsey FPU, Financial Peace University thing and we're like, well, we've got to figure out our finances because now we have a kid. Like, we got to be more responsible. Can't just, you know, go and buy whatever we want with the credit cards. And so that's what we did. We jumped into that and it was delayed gratification for nine and a half months we worked hard. I worked a second job. I Ubered, which they didn't have Uber Eats back then. And I had some weird situations, but anyway, so we had Uber and then um, I was selling guns. We were selling everything in the house. That's what Dave Ramsey says. Sell everything in the house where the dog thinks he's next or the kids thinks, thinks that they're next. That's what we did. We sold everything. We were selling a lot of stuff to try to get out of debt. And then I'm a foodie. And if you guys don't know what that is, I love to try different foods, go eat a bunch of different foods. And for nine and a half months, it was delayed gratification because we did not go out to eat on our, on, our, on our dime. We asked our parents and our grandparents, whoever was getting us gifts for our birthday and Christmas, said, get us gift cards to our restaurant, please. Like we haven't eaten. All we're eating is rice and beans, like Dave Ramsey says, right? Um, so we, we ended up having delayed gratification. And that is hoping. It's just the same thing, like hoping in eternal life. It's delayed gratification. It's that eager anticipation and spending etern- for spending eternity with Christ in heaven. So as a kid, um, when I would hear about heaven and I would think about eternal life, I was so mesmerized. Like, it's so cool. Like, think about living forever and ever and ever and ever. And then it was like, that kind of freaks me out. It's kind of a little scary. Like, it's like part of the unknown. And even if I think about it too long today, it'll happen too. I'll start thinking like, well, it's kind of cool, but it's, it's a little freaky living forever, right? But it says that we will have eternal life And that is life forever with Christ if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, in that exact moment, you have eternal relationship with him, eternal life with Jesus forever. John 5, 24, it says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me, this is Jesus talking, and believes him who has sent me, that's present tense, has sent me, eternal life, or sent me has eternal life. Sorry, I messed that up a little bit, but let me read that again. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's present tense. It's instantaneous. The second you believe in him, you have eternal life in the person of Christ. The moment that you gave your life to him, believing in his life, death, and resurrection, you received eternal life. Eternal life, it cannot end. That is a promise from God. And what we do today It'll have eternal and divine implications. It'll bear fruit that will last into eternity. And so we should live and build our lives with eternity in mind. And lastly, eternity 
um, or eternal life is not merely a future escape from sin, but it is an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ that starts from the second that you put faith in him. So let's look at the second part of verse two. The first part says, in hope of eternal life. The second part says, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So when I saw this, I was like, God, who never lies. When I think of God, I think of all the things that God can do. I think God can do anything. He can do everything. But right here, we're seeing something that God can't do, which only happens very, very few times in the Bible. God cannot lie. He is 100% truth inside and out. It's his characteristic. It's part of his, um, his characteristics of God. That's who he is. And I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. And because of that, I have eternal life. So if I don't have eternal life, that's because God is a liar. But God cannot lie, therefore I have eternal life. It's the truth. That is his promise to me and that is his promise to you if you have put your faith and you put your trust in him. I've heard a lot of questions um, over the last couple years and sometimes I've heard stories of questions like this. But the first one, do you believe in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection? And someone will say yes. And then sometimes it's a follow-up question. Sometimes it's just worded different. Maybe it says, so are you a Christian? And you have someone say, well, I try to be, right? Have you guys heard that? I try to be a Christian. Or, hey, are you saved? Yes. So you you get to go to heaven. You get to spend eternity with God. That's awesome. And and I, I hope so. I hope I get to do those things. Or eternal life means that you'll live forever. And then someone says, yeah, but what if I lose it? Or maybe they have that thought. Has that been you? Or have you seen someone say or think those things? Because if you can lose it, then it was never eternal life. Because God cannot lie, therefore it is a promise from God. And the truth is, we all will have eternal life in one way or another. The question is, is it in Christ or is it not? Do you live your life focused on your family? Like it's your family. That's a good thing, but when we make it ultimate, it's not. Do we focus our life in on your job? Is that what you put your hope and your trust in? Is it money, your selfish desires? Is it the power that you have at work, the influence? Is it your friends? Because if that's what we're putting our ultimate hope and trust in, that doesn't lead to heaven. If we put our trust and belief in those things, it's not gonna lead us there. It's gonna lead to eternal destruction. And then verse three says this. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted There's that word entrusted by the command of God, our savior. See, Paul says in the exact right time manifested in his word through the preaching, will I have been entrusted or which I have been entrusted. God has entrusted us to share his word. And we don't know when the right time is, but he does. We just have to hope that he is going to save the person we're going to tell because that's what we're asked to do. We should tell everyone because God, he's going to save anyone. He can save anyone, but he's not going to save everyone. And we don't know who that is. We don't know where that's going to happen. And we don't know when that's going to happen. And the good news is, is we don't have to. We're just commanded and entrusted to tell it. He entrusted us to tell it, Paul says. The responsibility was given to us. And here's something that I hope is encouraging to you. You guys might be nervous, like, I don't know how to tell the gospel, or I'm a new Christian, or I've never done that before. But the one thing I want to say is you cannot break the gospel. It can't be broken. You can't mess it up. For 2,000 years, the gospel is the same. It never broke because someone said the wrong word. 
And here's something else I want to tell you is that the words that you say are not going to be the things that save that person. We can't do the saving. God is the only one that does the saving. So have faith, step out of your comfort zone and go tell them because you can't break the gospel. If you're a Christian, you are an ambassador of Christ. We are representatives for him. When your friends look at you, they should be able to tell that there's something different about that person. That person, there's something different. And when they ask, you should be able to say, yeah, you can tell them about your savior who saved you. Jesus's life should change us and it should be relevant to us and, in our, and evident in our lives that we are different. And then verse four says this, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. See, Paul said, my true child in the common faith. This is the point right here where a lot of people, scholars, they think that what he's saying here is he was the one that witnessed to Titus. He's the one that led him to Jesus. He didn't do the saving. He just led him there. Jesus did all the saving. So the question is, have you ever led someone to Christ? Or maybe the better question is, when was the last time that you led someone to Christ? When's the last time you told someone? Are we on mission as Christians, like we should be? Or are we slave to our own desires? Are we, a slave, are, are we not slave to God, but we're slave to the things that we want, the things that make us happy in the moment, in our circumstances? See, we have to be ready. We have to be on mission. And the book of Titus is gonna be really good for us. I'm excited for it because it's going, going to challenge us. It's going to challenge you to step out of your comfort zone and it's gonna be so good. But this week, we need to be ready. If you haven't shared the gospel, it is time to get out there and tell your friend. Maybe you can't fathom just going that far outside of your comfort zone. Then I wanna ask you to pray about it. Pray, ask God to give you the words. Ask God to work through you. And when you are asking him, expect God to be moving because he is. Expect it to happen, that he's gonna give you strength, that he's gonna give you confidence when you pray for those things. And don't just use this as a get out of jail free card of what I'm about to tell you. But if you, if you really just don't know or you're a new Christian, like if you don't know how to tell the gospel, or you just know that you believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you don't know how to tell someone about it, then you can at least go out and invite them and work up towards sharing your faith. Work up to talking to them about God. We are entrusted to get the message to the recipient. That's what we're entrusted with. If it's, it's between God and the recipient on if that message gets opened, if they believe. Jesus does the saving. Paul ends the verse with this. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. See, the opposite of grace is justice, or at least that's what I like to think is justice. And grace is getting something that you don't deserve, something that you didn't earn. It's salvation and eternal life through faith in Christ. That is what grace is. And I think of it kind of like this. Like if you go out and you're speeding 20 miles over the speed limit, which is like a felony, I think. But in Arizona, it's like nothing, right? Like everybody does 20 or 30 over, right? But let's say you get pulled over by a cop, pulls you over the side of the road. And what grace is, is that cop coming up to you is like, hey, you've got to stop speeding, but here's a hundred bucks. And he gives you a hundred bucks. That's what grace is. And then we have mercy, similar to grace, but not really. It's not the same thing. Mercy is when we get pulled over and he says, hey, slow down. But he lets you go. He pulls you over and he says, hey, 
you're free. You're scot-free. You don't get a ticket. Just slow down. Stop doing it. That's what mercy is. It allows us to repent and reconcile with God. Then you have justice. And justice is where you get what you deserve. Justice is where you're going 20 miles over the speed limit. I could be wrong on it being a felony. It might just be a misdemeanor. But um, you're going 20 miles over the speed limit and that cop pulls you over and he drags you out of your car, takes you to jail. That is justice. And some of y'all are thinking, man, it's only 20 miles an hour, right? But justice is something that God will one day issue to all who don't trust in him. Getting everything that you deserve if you don't trust in him. And I, I don't want that justice. See, justice is what Jesus got on the cross, but he didn't deserve that justice. I did. You did. We did. And God the Father, he came up with this plan. God the Son, Jesus, he accomplished that plan. He carried that plan out. And then God the Holy Spirit, he reveals the plan. He opens hearts. The Holy Spirit opens hearts for you to believe for your friends to believe. And God intended for us to live in this perfect world. But he was and he is a sovereign and all-knowing God. And he knew that it wasn't gonna last. And he was right because our sin broke this world. And then Satan's sin and death end up entering the world because of it. And God had a plan to send his one and only son down to earth to pay it all for all who didn't believe And his son, Jesus, lived the life that we couldn't live without ever committing a sin. Yet, he ends up getting the death that you deserve. He lived a a free, a scot-free life, never doing anything wrong, never sinning. It was all righteousness. And then he died a death that you deserve, a died a death that I deserve. And because of that, the father sees you and delights in you, if you're saved, in the works of his son. The father loves you with the same love that he has for a son. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the grave because Satan's sin and death, they couldn't hold him down. Satan's sin and death, they couldn't keep him in the grave. And the best thing about all that is there's no merit badge that you need to win or you need to go out and achieve. There's no award. There's nothing that you can do, but just believe in him. That's all we can do. And if we believe in him, we shall not perish and have eternal life. Let's pray.